Into the Nexus is a production of AMove.tv. Bookmark AMove TV for other great video games and esports podcasts. Into the Nexus is sponsored by listeners like you via patreon.com slash ITN. Welcome, everyone, to Into the Nexus, episode 399. I'm Kyle Ferguson. Garrett is on a rainy vacation. It's raining on him at Thunder Mountain right now at Disney World. I saw the tweet. But it's Florida, so it'll change. I am joined this week by Not Paradox. Not Paradox, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, yeah, in Florida, I mean, it rains every day at noon, right? Uh, so exactly. it'll, the, the rain will end soon. No, uh, it's probably ended by the time we're talking. No, thank you uh, so much for having me back. It's always fun to be on here. We were just talking. I think the last time I was on was around February. So um, it's exciting to be back. And uh, we were talking about um all sorts of stuff but since it's you just mentioned episode 399 we're talking about what might be on episode 400 i just saw the brood lord and i just wrote in the notes broody the brood lord you gotta have that (laughs) brought up somewhere um but yeah no i i uh i'm definitely excited to be back and i'm excited to see what you guys do for your your 400 um but uh yeah i mean how are you doing so far doing doing good doing good yeah we could uh episode 400 could honestly be a patch show that's like very you know nuts and bolts serious but then there's also the stream later that night so uh, for everyone at home we normally do a bonanza where we play games and just play games it's kind of our goal play with the patrons that night so next thursday at 5 p.m pacific time we'll be live over at twitch.tv slash tv having a sort of celebration. There'll be games in there. We'll, we'll play some games. But there's also going to be some viewing parties, all sorts of cool stuff. Looking forward to sharing with you all in that episode 400. Uh, but I'm doing, I'm doing fabulous. This has been a really cool week of heroes, let alone CCL. It, in my personal games, I've gone from Sylvanas one trick to <laughs> Stukov one trick. I'm, oh, okay. I'm just end of the season, just like wandering around randomly, like following mm-hmm. my passion. Little Mephisto here, a little little Sylvanas over here. I'm, I, I love Sylvanas. I'm really loving it. Uh, but I'm realizing just how nice CC is. Yeah, because I do the whole mind control, I auto attack build, and like a Varian being like this, and you're like, well, what a wonderful mm-hmm. idea, Varian. I'll mind control that in the bonus damage. But really, really, I, I think. Uh, highlighted by the ongoing CCL tournament, Stukov has the easiest build in the world to do right now. Yeah. Previously, the reactive list of sports, not that it was impossible, but it was extra thought process, extra button, extra play style. It, it did. And and it was a risk every time because your risk was a little bit of setup. You You would, if you figured you were going to be doing like the, the reactive, you would want to set up, especially like the level seven talent too, um, where you only need to hit one person with your W. You'd always want to set up with your Q, get it spreading, and just try for a W. Um, and it kind of came to the same playstyle every time. You'd have the reactive as kind of an activatable to get an extra person if you needed to, or to save yourself if you made a mistake. 
And uh, in both cases, it kind of just created this like almost linear play style that was difficult and kind of high risk um, that, that you could kind of answer the risk a little bit like every 60 seconds or so. So I think the new play styles, uh, it, you, you can take the same risks, but you it's actually pretty difficult. Um, it's just and, so and easy. It, yeah, it's great. Like. The the old uh, having to get the reacto took skill, yeah. of course, and it was a very impressive thing. You could always see the Stukov who was used to it because they were firing their weighted pustules from level one and then doing the hand under like they they never oh, wanted yeah. to break that oh, practice. For sure. But now you don't even take that talent, so you don't even have to worry about it, and you just put hands under things at increased yeah. range with a oh, yeah. extra second on the back end. The uh, the spreading hand, like it, it's it's just. So easy, and it's so yeah. powerful, and it's early pickable. It it really is, yeah. Stukov in his current playstyle is, I mean, he's a lot easier. Um, you can still go the the reactive if you want. Um, like if if you've got a diver, it it's still definitely has a lot of potential. But um, man, low blow is a lot of fun, and uh, just in general, a lot of uh, his current playstyle is really fun. You can still go the root, but since they nerfed it and they buffed the other talents, like. You only have to hit what one person six times now to get a reset or two people three times. So if there's two people in your lurking arm, I think you get a reset in what, like a second and a half, um, which is pretty fast. If there's three people, you get a reset in a second. Um, so you can get your resets rather quickly. Um, it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, overall, the new Stukov is, is uh, pretty fun to play. And if, if you guys aren't bringing them into Storm League yet, you should certainly try. You also get that It Hungers gives 20% lurking arm range. That eight hits that you talked about, very, very easy to do. And then you get mana cost refunded on top of it. So you're not even, you're not even working that hard. You're still thinking, <laughs> but you're, yeah. you're not even working that hard. It's a little, I mean, you can't just dive right in. Uh, Stukov is definitely one of those Magic the Gathering kind of heroes right. where yeah. you look at the text and you go, okay, so that's the ability. And then talents pop up and you go, no, 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 no. This is, this is a lot. I'm going to go back to playing Anduin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when I was coaching people a lot, whenever Stukov was brought up, they would always either really underestimate or really overestimate how difficult Stukov was. Um, generally people who didn't read everything, they just saw like the Q was bouncing around. They're like, he's so easy. Like you're just naturally healing everyone. I said, yeah, but like your Q heal is not that strong unless you use your trait. And in order to get the most out of your trait, you have to use your W with your talents. And I said, it, it gets a little complicated. Um, or I'd have people that are like, oh man, I, I see Stukov's combos and I just don't even understand it. And it's like, there's there's ways to learn those combos and be a little bit easier at them, but he's definitely one of those heroes that is either deceptively easier or harder um, to play than than people think. But I do think the new the new e builds are are definitely fun um, to say the least, and they're a lot easier than than his other builds. It's interesting how quickly this season of CCL was defined in that way. And I think for me, the biggest surprise, and we talked about it a little last week, was Lunara. Just suddenly, oh yeah, yeah, tons of really, really powerful Lunara. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's just entirely based around choking pollen's buff. Yeah, I mean, choking pollen answered one major problem that Lunara had, but it answered it so well um, 
that you didn't even need the ult anymore. So so generally like Lunara, her old playstyle was really like let's counter healers who can't keep up with wide damage. Wide slow damage. They're like so Uther, Karazim, Morales, they're if you saw them early picked, you could pick Lunara and they you're basically forcing the enemy team to pick a second healer. And so the the kind of the play style that that they had was okay, overwhelm them with damage and use leaping strike to get the burst that you're lacking. But now you get the burst at level 7, which already is a big kind of buff to Lunara. But you can now take Thornwood Vines, so your ult, instead of needing to use your ult to be the burst and get into a bad position, now your ult could be the applying damage to all the enemies, um, and you get to stay in a safe position. So, so her playstyle, like, what she brought to the team is still the same. She just brings it earlier now. She brings the it's safer than she brought before. Um, and there's a couple different playstyles now. You can play her a little bit more utility where you're dismounting everyone and you're slowing them all from really far away. And then you can lead to burst on whatever your team's attacking. Or you can play her aggressively, potentially even still going Thornwood Vines or going Leaping Strike, have enough damage 100 to 0 a target and bounce back right over to your team again. Um, And you can kind of uh, readjust as needed or, or what your team needs. So she's a lot safer to pick earlier in the draft. Um, where before you only wanted to pick her if they had already picked their healer and she works well into their healer. Now you're safe to pick her early in the draft because you can change your playstyle. If they are major AoE healers, you go more single target. And if they're more single target, you go AoE. You bring the utility to every team. And so she's really great in a lot of different maps. Um, I, I definitely think that Choking Pollen brought out something in Lunara that, uh, that she was definitely missing that kept her away from the, the competitive scene. I mean, she already had a good win rate um, in like just Storm League games, but this definitely brought her out in the competitive scene and, and it's just what she needed, really. Well, to highlight that for a moment, let's point people over to your YouTube where you made recently a Lunara mm-hmm. video off of the CCL plays. Yeah, yeah. That uh, So that video kind of says what I just said a, a little bit um, and it, it talks about how kind of a little bit the history of, of when Lunara was used. And then we talk heavily, I I talk heavily about um, what made her popular again. And then I also go through and kind of explain throughout this video um, what the pros are using her for and kind of what might be different with pro play versus your games. Like I think level 13, um, I recommend almost all the pros take the cleanse. But in your standard games, I don't think you're going to be able to get as much value out of the cleanse as you will, like the longer slow duration or the lower cooldown on your W. Um, So I also kind of explain how like sometimes things are great in pro play that are not so great in your standard games and you need to make those adaptations. So it's a pretty good video, I would say, about explaining like how to not only learn why they're playing those heroes, but also how to adapt it for your own gameplay. I got to interview Hasuobs this week for the CCL. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that'll be part of the halftime show. But uh, but a little little spoiler for what he was talking about over there. That's why they can run so much Stukov as well, because of that cleanse on Lunara. And I thought that was fascinating mm-hmm. that you can make up yeah. for a support with Lunara now. And you mentioned you mentioned there that uh, the Thornwood Vine. So yeah. why wouldn't somebody want to say Lunara's problem was burst? 
now I want Leaping Strike to just double down on that. It's just if you need to double down. Okay. So Leaping is still used here and there, but what happens is you have enough burst that if your tank's going to CC someone with Choking Pollen, you have just enough damage to finish off that target with your team. So you don't really need Leaping Strike as long as they've got the, the marks that they need, the, uh, the, the stacks of your poison that they need. So what ends up happening is you, once you, really in, in pro play, once you have enough, you're, you don't need any more. Like overkill is not necessary in pro play because you have just enough to get the kill that you need, just enough to get the camp you need, just enough to clear the wave that you need. Um, where outside of pro play, you're going to need a little bit more because your team's not going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. So in pro play, you just need enough to kill a target. And that's what they have with the level 7 talent. After that, you just decide, okay, well, what's going to get us in an easier position to always be able to do that? And that's where the, the vines has been gaining a lot of popularity is because you can dismount everyone from really far away. You can slow everyone. You can get your marks to where they need to be pretty fast while staying in a safe position. But don't leave leaping strike to be like it's just completely outclassed that's in professional play that's when they have enough damage that they need but if for some reason you're in a situation where you're like hey we have lunara um but we also have like let's say a, a really slow damage dealer um and a bruiser that's more of a tank you might need to go okay we still kind of need that burst we need that guaranteed burst and you you'll still see leaping strike being picked here and there um but as far as i would say most games right now in the competitive scene that choking pollen gives you just enough burst to take out the targets you need and so that's why people are just going the uh the vines now the other thing that really stood out to me and i'm afraid is going to cause an outbreak of Lee Ming's was the Leeming solo boss on Alterac Pass. I didn't know that was possible until this weekend. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, so one of the, the members of um, uh, Diamond Hands, I believe, uh, is Kelsier. Um, Kelsier was showing me a video he was working on. And I really hope I'm not like burning it. Um, and he's, he's still working on it. But, um, but Kelsier showed that you could solo boss on almost any hero in the game. Um, and it just might take a while. Like when he was doing <laughs> it with Diablo, it took him like, I, I think he said like 40 minutes to solo a boss. Okay. Um, and so it's just it, like, there's sometimes that it's just unreasonable. But if you're playing a DPS and you know how to do it and you can do it in a way that the enemies aren't expecting, that's kind of the the best part. You know, I heard a... Um, there was a competitive player that, that said this. I can't remember the name right now, but um, he, he said that every team needs two tricks. Um, if you're trying to trick the enemies, you do one trick and it's usually not enough to end the game against pros. So every team needs two tricks. And that's kind of a good one. So as long as you have a second one, if you're trying to be sneaky, then that's the way to do it. If, if the enemy beats you in drafts, that's okay. As long as you can do something that they're not expecting. And uh, and so that's the fun part about CCL and competitive play is when everyone's playing at their best, there's still so many areas you can outplay the enemies, but you got to get a lot more creative than just outplaying in your normal games. If you're looking to do this from home, of course, this was uh, 30k Dino who was showing this off. So yeah. extremely skilled player. Uh, oh, yeah. Extremely well timed play to the point that they were dodging the auto attacks of the mountain giant on mm -hmm. Alterac Pass, but they were also using the teleport to sort of reset 
the stomp and get it to stomp more it seemed yeah i i don't know the exact method i think i think for the most part when if you take ether walker um you can teleport like every two seconds and uh the mountain giant attacks pretty slow um so you can kind of reset one auto attack and then you have i think 0.5 second window that you just need to make him run during that 0.5 mm. second window um to make it worth it so the basically you you teleport right as he's attacking and then you're okay for a second and then you need to start moving at least after half a second so that he's running for 1.5 seconds until you have your teleport back and then you can walk up and right as he's about to attack you teleport again as far as them how they triggered the multiple stomps or anything that's that is beyond me i'll have to watch the the game a little bit better but yeah i mean sometimes knowing those and and these are one of those things i i'd say in in uh, magic there's some decks that's like this only wins once right <laughs> and i um, love those there, decks. there's some decks that you play that once you learn the gimmick you never let that gimmick happen again and uh this is one of those things where once they realize that if anyone's missing from the map that could lead to a a boss that's something that every team's going to count for a little bit um it's it's going to be tricky and and i think we're going to start over we're going to start valuing vision a little bit better which again comes back to lunara with that wisp being able to just throw a wisp yeah. down to bot lane and stop the scary thing that's about to happen um before it happens is is going to be really valuable and uh we'll start seeing a lot more uh usage of of vision uh than than i think we've we've seen before especially on all track now well is there anything that's really stood out to you i i brought, I brought up uh stukov leaming here was kind of that surprise uh, so much tychus uh just just a solid solid siege machine with that odin uh but did anything anything cross your mind while watching in the past you know weeks. i think the biggest thing that i've been seeing a lot is the high priority of healers um that don't have cleanse um mm. it's so what happens right now is the meta of the healers that we have um and, and i've seen the casters even say this they say uh like it seems like whoever gets the stukov or brightwing wins the game um but what we keep seeing is that we'll have We'll have uh, Stukov, Brightwing getting banned or picked, and then we'll have like people pick Mal Malthale and, or sorry, Malthale, Malfurion and um, Deckard as backups. Both heroes that don't have great cleanses, right? Malfurion's cleanse doesn't get rid of Silence, which is why we've been seeing that priority of Varian and uh, and Sylvanas, because both of their taunt and mind control are considered silences. Um, we're we're kind of lacking that. And so what I'm curious about is naturally like Lucio was kind of the old answer to that. Um but he's fallen out of the meta. And I I'm curious to see why he's fallen out of the meta. I mean in this particular game we're looking at uh, he was banned. Um but I'm curious why he's fallen so far out of the meta that he's not the answer to to taunt Varian every time. Um but also like there's a lot of underrated healers that I still think just aren't getting the kind of the the showing that they should. Um, I still think that uh, White Mane, while she's risky to draft, um, is probably one of the best like anti um, burst, anti combo healers in the game. Like Uther is generally the best anti burst because of the armor he gr he grants, but um, I you can gain you can grant even more armor every 60 seconds which is generally how often fights are happening um in the competitive scene it, 
you'll have either one person who'll lead to a pick with a variant, a, a pull, or anything like that, which she has a 45-second cooldown cleanse, right? So she can stop most of the picks. And then when people hard engage, let's say they, they go in with a uh, Warden's Cage, um, she can give everyone 40 armor and a big heal and that's usually enough for them to get out of the situation that they were in. And if you want to continue fighting, kind of counter-engage, 40 armor marks everyone on your team. And then you can then use your W with a trait potentially to heal everyone up to full. And then your team can counter-engage. So I, I do think that probably the, the underrated competitive healer right now is, is White Mane. Just because the low cooldown cleanse, it is low range. But still, in competitive, if you're a good healer, you'll kind of know where the the um, CC is going to hit. I think that the, that would be a surprising one. I, I saw a game earlier that uh, the two cleanse heroes were picked early and then Varian was like snap picked. And I was like, well, this would be a great situation to just pick anyone with a uh, cleanse, right? And uh, and then they ended up picking Malfurion. And Every single fight went exactly the same. Varian charged in, taunted, Sylvanas uh, mind-controlled, they killed the target, and then they were down a target, uh, taunt was back up in 15 seconds, and the other team basically gave the objective. And it happened over and over and over and over. And I was like, if you just didn't pick Malfurion, and you picked Rhaegar, you at least would, wouldn't die to the first taunt. That's but true. if you picked um, White Mane, at least you would have two answers. And a lower cooldown uh, cleanse. I mean, even Lily has a low cooldown cleanse. Um, wouldn't really recommend her too much in competitive because she doesn't answer the other problems. But I was like, I, I think that's the thing that I'm seeing that's really underrated right now. Um, that's kind of missing out. The other thing that I would say I'm seeing like a lot of um, uh, is like, let's see. Let me see if I you you, you posted the um, the thing like I, I'm seeing a lot of like the Hawkes coming back, which sure. is awesome. And I think a lot of people are saying it's because of uh, Lurker Strain, and that build is really interesting. Um, I've been doing, you know, it's funny. I've been breaking down a lot of games with this build, um, and I've been trying to see where that talent is leading to something that not having that talent wouldn't have gotten. Um, but then I'm also trying to see you're removing two potential important talents. And so I've been trying to figure out every game where Lurker Strain actually is leading to a win where the other talents wouldn't have and every game that it's not. And what I'm finding is that it seems like people are taking it too much. Um, and, and I know this will be a little controversial for sure. I think it's a good talent and, and I do think it'll likely see a little bit of nerfs. But it's actually one of the lowest win rate talents on um, on like uh, uh, Hot Slogs or Heroes Profile just for like standard games. Um, even if you sort by Masters, it's like 7% lower uh, than like the, the next talent down um, than like Hero Stalker. Um, and so that was one of the things. But if you're looking specifically at CCL games, um, it's, it's like Hero Stalker is barely being picked. Which in this case, the, the win rate is, is pretty low. But I think it's just because people that are picking it don't know when to pick it. And everyone else just is always picking Lurker Strain. And so it's kind of interesting to see. And I think that's one of them that I think I'm, I'm kind of just breaking down a lot of the games. And I see areas where I'm like, this definitely led to a kill where it otherwise wouldn't have. Um, 
And then I see a couple areas where people are picking it and they're just dying too fast. They're not getting any value from Lurker Strain. And Hero Stalker would have led to them winning. And so it's just one of those trends that I think I'm I'm seeing that um, I think with actual game breakdown, you'll see that it's not always the best, but it certainly is a strong talent. Um, but the cool part about that is it did kind of shake up this season of CCL shook up the solo lane roster pool quite a bit. Um, we don't see like Sonya Hogger, no, um, no, no, Diva yeah. every game. Like we see, we see Dahaka. We're seeing a lot of Chen. Um, we're seeing like some weird stuff this season, which is really fun. I'm really excited to see that. Um, yeah, what's with Chen? Yeah. What what is that? What is that accomplishing? What what is it going for? Because I'm seeing that as well, and its mobility and its responsiveness seems to be working very well for them but i'm not sure why it's happening in the draft so i I think chen does a few things i think he's a he's a lane bully he wins like probably 80 percent of the matchups in the lane if you need to win the lane but he also does a couple things interesting in team fights you can go in two different directions when you play chen um you can play where you just shield your allies giving them like a pretty significant shield um, and then jump in and barrel the, the team. Barrel's also such a low cooldown. You can use it to counter what enemies are trying to do. Um, and so if if like a Leoric on the opposing team entombs, you can jump in ch- and, and barrel and just knock everyone away and counter every entomb. Um, and so he's seeing, I mean, not, not too much, but he is seeing a little bit more play. But I think overall, we're just seeing a wider range of... Uh, of soul laners than we've we saw in the previous seasons um but yeah he can he can adapt based on where he needs to go currently i mean the season's still brand new season three so naturally all the stats are going to be pretty limited um but yeah it's it's uh, it's fascinating to see kind of what we're what we're seeing right now um previous week games were um were rather interesting too i mean what i noticed also another one Garrosh has been seeing really low priority, but the games that I've been seeing him in are really high impact. Um, like he's he the game that he won, um, it was like almost a hundred percent Garrosh that that caused him to win, and it it was huge. I mean, of course, it's never a hundred percent, but he he was significant in that, and I, I think that's something that um, that I feel like is is kind of lacking. But yeah, over overall, I mean, CCL, it's it's fresh this season. That's what I'll say is it's fresh this season. We're not seeing a lot going on, but um, what we are seeing is uh, just a little bit different from the last two seasons. We got a question from you from the Discord asking from Dax, who do you think are some sleeper heroes that we may see become part of the home meta from the CCL standpoint? So, okay, so from the the home meta, are, are we meaning like just things that are kind of missing in CCL right now? Are we thinking things that might be kind of sleeper for like all competitive play? Um, I, I, I think more along the lines of what's happening in CCL that we're not noticing that is going to become meta at home, maybe over time. Interesting. Um, let, me, let me pull up. So the, the most recent... Five games in CCL. You know what um, is they're finally getting on to? And I said this a uh, little bit ago, um, probably, I don't even know, season two, season one even. I said that uh, Maev has only received buffs since HEC. And in HEC, she was 100% pick and ban. 
And I was really wondering where the Maev is. I feel like we're finally starting to see a lot of Maev. Um, and that's going to trickle down for sure. I would say the other thing that's going to start trickling down more often is we're seeing them running very beefy comps, right? And we've been seeing like Triple Bruiser for a long time. But um, people, I think, are getting more bold with their beefy comps now. And, um, and I do think that's going to trickle down just a little bit seeing um i mean a lot of these teams if we're looking at yeah like the the most previous games we've been seeing um like this team ran um and there's like what was it blaze uh with let's see blaze maev and medivh and then the other team had uh diablo uther leoric and joanna right and it's like these teams are getting so much tankier than we've seen in the past and it's just because bruisers can can do such a disruption to assassins now that the things that would normally answer high health targets, it's easier to answer by just adding something tanky again. Um, the fact that like Yurel and Dahaka can just jump on your backline, Yurel, Dahaka, Chen, um, I mean, most of the bruisers that are being played right now can just jump on backline without risking much. They can just go right to your backline, threaten to, to kill a target, and they can generally just get away safely. And so the backline needs to be people who have like their own survivability, or they need to be people who can stay really far back, or you just shift adding more beef to your team too. So I think that that'll trickle down quite a bit. Um, I definitely think the Lunara build that we're seeing in, in pro play, we're we're only going to start seeing um, people are still kind of doing leaping strike. People are still kind of doing the spreading pollen or the um, what is it called? It's not spreading pollen, the level seven um, that you throw up splintered spears. Um, we're we're like still seeing a lot of that. Um, so I think that's probably the, the main thing that we're going to see different slowly start trickling down into kind of like the NGS type uh, things. Um, also, like, I, I think the other thing, too, is we're going to start seeing some things that might be a little bit too high execution for people in lower ranks. Like, what I started seeing happen really fast is CCL players started playing Genji again. Mm. Um, we've been seeing a lot of Genjis. And uh, right after CCL players started playing a lot of Genjis, I started seeing a lot of teams in, like, NGS, like, uh, divisions like A, B, and C start bringing their Genjis back out. But the problem that I was seeing is like the the drafts that people were playing Genji in in CCL um, were basically like the best case scenarios for Genjis. It was like we have just enough damage to finish off a target without Genji, but he's going to speed it up and and he's going to make sure that he can roam around like he's being picked on the best maps and the best comps. And like we're actually seeing Genji doing what he needs to do, um, where I think in... Um, in like these lower divisions, they're just replacing their Sylvanas with a Genji. But when they replace <laughs> their Sylvanas with a Genji, they don't have enough damage to finish targets and they're just not killing anyone. Mm. And then they get a little bit behind and Genji, if he's a little bit behind, it's going to feel weird because then you're charging people and just not quite doing enough to finish the target and then you just die. And so I think that there's some trends that from the upper level that are going to go down that are kind of good trends. Um, people more willing to to draft a little bit more creatively. But then I think there's some trends that'll come down where people don't understand why it's a trend and then it'll go down. I remember um, someone was telling me, uh, uh, they were asking me why uh, Diablo was gaining so much popularity with Lightning Breath. 
Um, and this is in season two. And and I was saying, I was like, well, one, they've buffed like all of W build. So it just that just naturally works well with Lightning Breath. I said, but two, I said, every game we're seeing a Lucio. And, and I'm like, Lucio is Diablo's really good at countering Lucio because he tries to wall ride, you smack him into the wall, flip him, your team kills him. So he has to play kind of at a disadvantage. I said, but Lucio can still just cleanse everyone if APOC goes off. And I said, so, and it's a lower cooldown than APOC. I said, so it's really hard for Diablo to get APOC value against Lucio. So we're seeing Diablo's going really weird builds to answer Lucio, throwing lightning breath in because they can still answer Lucio. Um, and, uh, and then Lucio goes high five. You go, you go lightning breath. Even if he high fives once, you're still taking a ton of damage. You're still probably winning whatever objective you're fighting over. And so sometimes there's trends that I think CCL picks up on very quickly that the rest see the talents that are winning, but they don't know why they're winning and they don't know why they're being picked. And so the trend goes down, but people don't really know why. And so I think that that Diablo case is kind of a good example of why we're seeing Genji starting to be picked up again, but they don't know why they're being picked. They're just picking them because they're like, oh, well, CCL players are picking them, so I need to pick them. Sometimes you need to know the reason why. And so I think that uh, we're going to see a lot of trends from this season of CCL specifically because it is an interesting one. I feel like we're seeing a lot that we haven't seen before. Um, but I think people don't really know the whys yet. And so we'll yeah. see a lot of trends. Yeah, one thing I've certainly felt in my own home games, watching CCL, they do early pick Sylvanas, Tychus, mm-hmm. Lunara. Uh, Falstad as well, but Falstad's been around for a really long time. But not as much Vala as HTC Days, certainly not as much Greymane as HTC Days. And I think that's interesting for their case. They're saying, I'm going to pick this thing that's amazing when things are heads, uh, held still for me. And then mm-hmm. our, the rest of our draft is going to invest in that holding still. But in Storm League, you're thinking, man, what great siege potential. What a great mm-hmm. tank buster this Tychus will be. And you don't get the front line that makes it sing. Nor do you yep. have that that dive, perhaps, that goes and cleanups what you started. Uh, you know, you do tons of damage, but there's not that skilled Genji, perhaps. That's more in kind of the blame territory. The draft doesn't reinforce the early pick assassin. So what I'm seeing in our draft be affected is the supports are leading. Brightwing, Stukov, and Anduin is really kind of the backup there in our home games. And I do think it's interesting that in the CCL, they're backing up with a Deckard. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that, and again, that's something that I, I feel just a little bit of a critique. I love Deckard. I think Deckard's great. I said, but I think the problem that I'm seeing when, when they do pick like Deckard as a backup is the, the lack of cleanse. Um, and again, that's something that like maybe CCL is slow to, or maybe they're realizing that like the cleanse heroes right now are just not reliable enough. The CC is coming out too often. Um, but, uh, in this particular case of this game, like cleanse wouldn't have mattered against Entomb. Um, and so like this one, I think Deckard's a great pick. So if Deckard starts being picked a lot in these situations, you got to kind of figure out like if that trend starts going down, um, are people going to first pick their healers but not know why, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I completely agree. Like with Tychus, Tychus, in my opinion, is like one of the best heroes if you can get a target safely into the middle of your team. Um, because of his low range, but his high damage, he can kill anyone that can get into your team. So a good Dahaka that can land a, a tongue and pull someone into your team, 
Nets Tyke is a kill every time. A Stitches Gorge, uh, Garrosh Throw, um, anything that can get a target into your team. And so, again, if you know like part of the reason, you see that Tychus being picked kind of early after the Dahaku is already picked, then everyone thinks Tychus is really good. Um, it, it, like you said, you pick Tychus, but you don't have the other pieces, he's going to feel awful to play. Something I think isn't going to translate down, but is a really powerful move, was Bad Benny's Varian. There's a lot of shakeups this season in terms of team dynamics and mm-hmm. who's on what team. And we're seeing sometimes, like the case of Bad Benny, going, I'm new to this team, I'm tank player, what could I play that would be extremely clear on comms? Yep. Varian, Taunt Varian, is going to work out perfectly while you're getting adapted to that situation. And in that sort of way, you you brought up uh, Lucio, and I had a thought. I wonder what percent of our support players are EU, and maybe there's a lack of Lucio just because of ping. It could be. I always figured he was kind of an easier one with low ping, um, only because most of his abilities are kind of point and click or just happen around you. Um, I think like his trait usage gets really hard on high ping. Um, and, but the rest of it, like, is, is kind of here and there. I, I think, like, that's kind of where Ana disappeared. And, and that was kind of my biggest reason for why Ana disappeared is that, um, she was being played a lot right before CCL season one. And then right as CCL season one kind of started, she just dropped in popularity. And it was because the ping made it almost impossible to heal. Mm. Um, and so, you basically had a Gim healer that still had all the downsides of Ana, but didn't even have healing really um, because of that high ping. And so Ana disappeared. And so you could be right that um, well, looks like you I'm, could looks like I'm wrong. Actually, I, I did a little quick through here. Uh, I know Valimar is said to be one of the top Lucios in the world right now. Canada, mm-hmm. uh, we got United States for Legacy, yep, Weary Legacy, Day, Canada. Weary Day, yep. yep, United mm-hmm. States heavy. So actually, uh, so I think I think these days. For the healers, Yasu is EU, but the the rest um, the rest should be relatively NA. So I, I don't know if that's going to be the problem there. Yeah, I think it's mainly. Um, I mean, he's he, Lucio's had a couple nerfs to his ult, and I think we're finally feeling that. Um, and also, like Stukov's just gotten a little bit more consistent, like like we talked about earlier. Uh, Brightwing's always been pretty consistent, so I I think and Brightwing's also really hard to deal with as a bruiser. Where like Ana is really easy to deal with as a bruiser. Um, Brightwing can always just jump to someone else and give herself movement speed and just like spell resist whatever you need. Like you can kind of get wherever you want to go with uh, with Brightwing. But um, Ana, like if you get jumped on by a Chen as Ana, you're you're kind of just dead if your team doesn't help. Um, like you can get a lucky sleep, but even asleep, like, can you get far enough away to where that Chen can't still get back up to you and still be able to heal your team? Probably not. Um, where a Brightwing, like Chen jumps on you, you just give yourself movement speed, polyam, and then jump to your team and you're, you're back to normal again. And so I think, uh, same thing with like, uh, Dahaka, like you, it's really hard for Dahaka to kill a Brightwing. Um, and same with Stukov. Stukov just pushes Chen away, just pushes Dahaka away um and he's hard to kill and so i think that the current meta where it stands is is really reinforcing these kind of battle mages almost as their healers um 
And Lucio still kind of fits that, but I think that just with the nerfs and the other ones that are available, it's just safer to go those. But I do think that there are some some underrated ones still out there for sure. Well, this is an interesting dynamic because we are on perhaps the eve of a patch. Now, of course, Mm -hmm. we were terribly unfair to to poor uh, devs and Daybringer this past week. I believe they got on the horn. They got on Reddit and Mm -hmm. said, hey, everybody, first of all, I'm paraphrasing here, but I'm holding back the patch. I want to make sure it's ready for everyone. Please be patient. We're really excited to show you what we're working on. That was Friday. Mm -hmm. And then Monday, everyone's like, all right, Daybringer, where's, where's the patch? Where's the patch? And yeah. <laughs> poor guys just just responds with an alarmed emoji face, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the things that he said in there, honestly, is what I always think of whenever there's a patch is like, um, specifically a content patch, not like just a balance patch, but a content patch. He said something and he basically said like, um, when you guys go to fix uh, or, or add one thing, you never know how many things are going to go wrong. And it's always way more than you think actually went wrong. And uh, and he goes, then you try to fix one of those things that went wrong and 14 more things go wrong. And like, that's kind of paraphrasing what he said, but there, he said something like that. Like, but um, it goes, yeah, like the, hold on. I, I've, yeah, I've, let, I've got go, my glasses, but yeah. Let's go ahead and read, in, in, read in full. It, it is, uh, it was me personally that had to make the date change. And trust me, it breaks my heart too. We are so extremely excited to release the next round of content for this game. Unfortunately, it just isn't quite ready yet. Over my past eight years on Heroes, oh my god, in state hero, uh, eight years, uh, I can confidently say that in game development, while extremely rewarding and fun, it's also unrelentingly difficult at times. If something can go wrong, it will. Not in the way you expect, but in ten different ways that you never have never been seen before. So if you love chaos, please come join us. Rest assured that the Heroes team is diligently working on finalizing the next patch, and we will release it as soon as we can. Love you all, and greatly appreciate your patience. Yeah, it's that second paragraph that just cracked me up. Like it, it's like you expect things to go wrong, but like they'll they'll go wrong in ten different ways you've never seen before, and and it's like you can't people. It, <sighs> I think more than ever too, like I I really like Spazzo and some of the work that he's done for the community by kind of pointing out the bugs and everything. But I feel like Spazzo has been more active since like the patches have calmed down than when they were intense to the point that like you could imagine being a developer right now. Not only is the community all like waiting for the perfect thing, but they're all going to judge everything that you do. But also your entire game is going to be torn apart the second that you you launch that patch. And you're going to have like a Reddit post of everything you did wrong within seven minutes of launching that patch. You don't even know how he typed it so fast, but he did. And like, that's the challenge is like, it's, it's, it's difficult. So you want to make sure that at least the game's not broken. Um, every single patch we've had out recently has had one bug, one major bug that either needed to have like a hero turned off or had to have a patch sooner than later. Um, maybe just brought out a patch as soon as they could, but it's been, it's been tough. Um, so I, I feel for him. I, I do. And it sounds more like a content patch than it does a balance patch, which also is kind of good news and bad news. Good news. Um, we're probably going to get something new, which is cool. I doubt it'll be a new hero yet. I expect, I mean, I, I expected they probably would have had a hero prepared for BlizzCon, which didn't happen. So we might see a hero in the next two months. 
but um, I don't expect it'll be this one because it's kind of just a random time. We haven't even had a balance patch in a little bit, so it's probably just going to be like a content. Maybe they bring out a skin or two. Maybe it's just like a partially reworked hero. Um, either way, I'm excited to see what it is. But yeah, I felt bad when I read that second paragraph. For sure. And uh, everyone was rare in this week to to get that patch. So currently in game, we are at less than a week again, which puts us uh, estimating out to that maybe Tuesday next week. But we just had a really in- interesting conversation about the meta that CCL is developing. And while they're banning things like Dahaka and Stukov, mm-hmm. they're also inventing new things. So what do you feel if there was a balance patch and maybe not in the like creative new toys sort of sense, but the balance patch that needs to happen, what would be on it? Um, I mean, for me, balance patches are, are kind of always the same. Look to see what the problems are in each level of play. Um, and then look to see who's not being played in any of those areas and see if you can change it. Um, one thing, I know this is a different game, but it, it's kind of similar in a sense. Uh is League of Legends, when they do their patch notes now, they have um, they break down every piece into what the purpose of that was at what skill level. And so um, they have like their shortened patch notes that they'll post on like, I think they're on Twitter usually. Um, they'll have like orange means for, for pro play. And so if their patch has the little orange indicator, it's meant to only affect pro play. And then like purple is like high level play blue is like middle and then like i think it's like light blue or green um that's like low level play and um and so they know how it's how it's happening so for me i would want to kind of do the same thing if i was to be looking at this balance patch i would go okay well the haka's lurker strain in the highest levels of play is very strong in when it's used correctly in its right situation we're looking at like a 70 percent win rate even in the areas where I was watching these games and going, okay, Lurker Strain was not good here and Hero Soccer would have been better. Um, Lurker Strain still holds its own. And so I would say that uh, arguably, let's tone down the talents that that brought these heroes out. Even the one, um, yeah, so we can kind of see it right here. You see on the, it, it, I, I get this is also a podcast. So if you're not seeing this, there's an orange thing that says for average and it says from bronze to gold or iron to gold. Then it says purple is skilled and it's from plat to diamond. And then elite is for like master challenger. Um, and then gold uh, or like the, a yellowish color is for pro play. And under each balanced hero where it says nerfs, it'll have a little indicator of what color it's going to be affecting underneath the um, hero symbol. And we kind of need to do the same thing. So if we were to go into, let's say, hot slogs and we were to go by, um, if we were to go to like the, statistics hero and map statistics and we sort by let's say bronze and silver um where i would say uh i gotta remember how to do this here we go all leagues let's go let's go uh bronze silver gold we're gonna see um of kind of the the highest played hero and the highest win rate hero we're looking at like the butcher so we want to learn okay why is the butcher have such a high win rate in these low ranks is that something that we need to address um, then we would look at the lowest rank or the, the lowest win rate and we'd go Medivh, Genji, Urel, Hanzo, Chen. Well, all of those are dominant in high ranks, so let's not touch them. Um, but you might be able to find a way to buff a hero in their ease of play without necessarily um, buffing them overall. 
And I guess that's something that um, I would try to do. But as far as specific heroes, um, oh, I, no, just, well, I just want to look at like top three played in each role and go, why? And can we adjust them a little bit? And then I want to look at the bottom three played in each role and go, why? And can we adjust it a little bit? Yeah, I think we could deduce the sort of imagery like League of Legends has out of our current patch notes, because often there's a note about what level of play it's being pursued at. It's just interesting that League of Legends informs their audience immediately through an infographic like this. Also interesting to this, there's no there's no skill coloring or, or denotion when it comes to buffs. Buffs are left alone. It's only the nerfs. It's just the nerfs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fascinating. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting because they're not saying that these won't affect everyone. They're saying this is the intention that we have. Like I try to do that yeah. in my patch notes video. I try to explain where I think it will impact the most. Um, but I think they're just trying to do it from a, hey, this is why we're doing that. And, um, and I think that that's something that's kind of interesting from a developer's standpoint is, hey, why... Here's why we're we're making these changes, and here's where we expect it to hit the most. Um, where that's up to us to decide how where it's actually going to affect. Um, because I mean, if if it affects low ranks or high ranks, I mean, in this case, I think um, I, I like what they've been doing with the balance patch of of buffing underutilized talents because we're seeing new things come out. Like you, the new Lunara playstyle we're seeing is because of multiple buffs to underutilized talents. And that's what created this playstyle. It's a fun playstyle. It's different. It's like you got a new hero and you still have the playstyle of the old hero. Um, and so that's the fun part about that. And so for me, every balance patch that I see buffs of underutilized talents, I'm always excited because I'm like, is it enough to where I feel like it's going to make a difference? If so, let me try it. And if it's not, then I'll wait until it happens a little bit more. We want to take a quick moment to thank everyone who supports the show over at patreon.com slash ITN. Thank you to our producers, Declan H., Sean B., Mike R., and J.M. Tibbles. This week, we also want to thank our new patrons, Magua and Pontus T. Pengler. Thank you for supporting Into the Nexus podcast. We also want to thank today's sponsor, Bombas Socks. Give a pair when you get a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash nexus. And when I say give a pair when you get a pair, I mean that they have donated over 50 million items over the last seven years with 3,500 plus giving partners across all 50 states. Bombas has given clean socks, underwear, and shirts, which are the top three most requested items in homeless shelters. You've heard me talk about their performance running ankle socks before, You've heard Garrett talk about the no-shows. This holiday season, give Bomba Socks to the people on your list. That's bombasocks.com slash nexus for 20% off your first purchase. Interesting. So there's nothing... So you brought up uh, Dahaka just because of its prevalence. Is there anything you feel is just overall home game CCL OP needs to be changed? Oh, I don't know. I mean... I, I feel like I mean what let's let's just out of curiosity let's go into uh, the overall um, what hero stats and let's sort by win rate um, let's sort by popularity and I'm just curious so Stukov's sitting at a 65 percent um, win rate with a 95 percent popularity in season three right let me double check that that's correct yeah 
So Stukov, Dahaka, 63%, 90% of games played, right? Like these are these are the areas where I would be looking. Lunara, 71% of the games, 56% win rate. 56% win rate to me is fine. In that all honesty, I think that's fine. Brightwing, 42% win rate, um, 69 games. Anubarak, again, most of these that are being played, I'm not too worried about. Um, where I'm worried is that Stukov and Dahaka. Those are, they're being played in almost every single game that we're seeing, picked or banned in almost every single game that we're seeing, and they've got above a 60% win rate. So we would want to look at what makes the difference. Well, Dahaka gained his popularity again with Lurker Strain um, with those buffs. So we would want to look at nerfing those. Do I, again, do I have kind of my crutch about that talent? Sure. I don't think it's great in every situation, but it certainly is amazing in the situations that it's great. And it's that's quite a few situations. So that needs to be nerfed. If we were to go into overall hero stats, kind of look at the um, Stukov, let's find out where his problem is, right? Is there one talent in Stukov's that just is winning significantly more, right? Reactive's win rate went down to 40%. Low blow went up to 77%. So low blow... Picking a level one talent, one choice at the beginning of a game is setting your win rate to 77%. Now, it's only in a few games. So, is that truly the problem? Maybe not yet. But I would say that's probably where we're going to start seeing the nerfs. Lurker Strain, Low Blow, um, and uh, the rest of his kit is not too bad. Biotic Armor, 75% win rate. Vigorous Reuptake, 50. One Good Spread, 50. But it could be still inflated from low blow. Growing infestation, 77%. Target excision, 66%. Like, again, um, probably still inflated by low blow. I would say the problem probably relates to low blow. Um, and so that's kind of where we... Uh, that's, I would say, the first two areas that we would look. The rest of them, I would say, potentially look at the problems where um, we're seeing Vikings uh, being played in um kind of as as like they change the entire dynamic of the game whenever vikings is picked so what i would say is while i don't know their their current uh what's their current win rate right now for vikings let's 100 percent one game play no wait no they, they lost their one game in season three they okay so season three they've been played in one game and lost one so we'll probably leave it um probably won't worry too much about that one but, but yeah, I, but I mean, I, I don't think what, what you're bringing up like that is that is a consistent problem for people mm -hmm. who take this game into tournament play is which heroes fundamentally change the game into a way they don't want to participate in. And often I hear Vikings, but more often than that, I hear Hammer. But that's also because I hang out with Mockery, who is, you know, yeah. a Tracer player. So, of course, uh, what about Abathur? Is he has he he hasn't he's been picked all season. Weird. Yeah, so Abathur, Abathur is struggling. Season two, we saw a couple teams try to make Abathur work. And they did. They did, but they also kind of showed their cards a little too early, right? So in season two, um, Abathur had a 45% win rate. They showed their cards early. It was mostly Oxygen. They showed their cards early of how they're going to play Abathur. And they won their first few games against um, a, a couple different teams. But once teams realized what they were doing, they lost almost all the rest of their games in that season. And they showed their cards too early. Abathur, unfortunately, has turned into kind of a niche trick pick rather than being a hero that is really strong in the meta. Now, he's still, I believe he's still getting banned here and there in Season 3. But overall, the big problem with Abathur is 
And it's it's been that he's been getting accidentally nerfed for too long. Um, what I mean by that is like when they when they did the experience changes, um, he could no longer soak from a bush. Um, and this is one example of it. But every time that they've been making slight changes to um, just Heroes of the Storm in general, he's kind of gotten the brunt of of that on accident. And he's not getting buffed to compensate for all of these things. Like they changed tower aggro. So tower aggro, um, whenever you deal damage to uh, another hero under tower, they made it to where um, you, the, the tower aggro, at least the forts, would start attacking you. But while they did that change, that shouldn't affect Avatar by himself. But while they did that change, they changed the priority of, of things that would target from towers. And they changed the priority from being minions first to being summons first, which you think would be great for Abathur because he's got all of those little summons. Problem is that his ult is considered a summon. And that was another change that they made a little bit earlier. So if you were to summon your ult, um, I'm meaning the monstrosity, not the clone, the tower rules will always attack your monstrosity first, which makes it to where you lose all of that split push potential that you had before. You basically need to move. You can never attack a fort and keep your monstrosity. Um, you'd have to wait for the minions to go first, and then your monstrosity will go in, and the first minion to die, it's going to switch back to your monstrosity again. Yeah. And so his split push from monstrosity got nerfed without them really thinking about it. His split soaking got nerfed without them really thinking about it. Now he has to cycle hats to, um, to be able to get the soak that he needs. Well, in his rework that he got, his mini rework, they made cycling hats a lot more difficult. So you used to be able to hat on a target, and with no cooldown, you could shield the target and hop off. Then they gave you a cooldown before you could hop off, and they gave you a longer cooldown in between throwing another hat on a different target. So he's gotten nerfed in three different ways that pretty much prevents him from being played and competitive in the way that he used to be played in every single type of playstyle. Um, so now the only reason that you would be picking Abathur is for some kind of sneaky strat that might use like a gimmick of what he does. But even those are bad. If if the tower change was different, then the playstyle that Oxygen came up with for Abathur of um, basically throwing your monstrosity in another lane and then stalling objectives, which was kind of their playstyle, um, which got them a couple wins with Abathur... That playstyle would be twice as good if that monstrosity wouldn't die the second that it got into in front of a fort. Um, and so, really, the big issue with Abathur is that he's been accidentally nerfed over and over and over and over, and they've never compensated for that. Hmm. So, but the problem is, if you buff Abathur too much, he's one of the most annoying things to play against. And uh, and so, I, I've I've brought up some ideas on on kind of how to to. I, not even my ideas, other people's ideas that I've just kind of kind of popularized, I guess. But I mean, regardless of any of those, if they buff him, they need to find a way to buff him that doesn't make people hate him. <laughs> well, tall order. Tall order for sure. Interesting. I mean, certainly that, and I, I see your video here on your YouTube, uh, Not Paradox. You included this with a Nova rework, which I think is also heavily requested. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a Nova game. It was used on Volskaya to farm turrets with bribe yep. and a Sylvanas in tow in order to empower those turrets. The enemy team ended up running like triple front line. So the turrets mm-hmm. could never decide what to attack and ended up not really working. But 
it was a really fascinating way to use current Nova. How would you go about fixing your Nova? Yeah, I mean, so Abathur is a little bit different. I have a, a million ideas with Abathur because I was an Abathur main forever. I mean, Abathur was one of the reasons I had Grandmaster. Abathur was used when I was actually playing competitively. Um, I was always the the player that got moved over to Abathur. I, I have a million ideas on how to fix Abathur. I don't play Nova at all. I know that Nova needs to be reworked, but I don't know the best way to rework Nova. And the reason why is because... Um, kind of the similar issue. She's a stealth sniper that's annoying to play against. If you buff her too much, she everyone's going to hate playing against her. And so in order to change, in order to buff Nova, they have to rework her to remove some of her annoying aspects. The current playstyle of a Nova, and, and what I kind of talked about in that video, is that it's not what you would feel like Nova should be. You You kind of play Nova right now more of, hey, I'm an annoyance rather than I'm a sniper from the future, right? <laughs> you, you really are. You, you're summoning clones to, to dismount people in the rotations. You're using your nuke to farm. Yeah. And you are bribing things. And that's all you do on Nova if you want to play her at a competitive level. And so she's only used in like niche areas to annoy people to death. Mm. Um, and the same was true with like Probius. I, I recommended people uh that, that there be a probius rework only because um he's just played so little in every single game mode that um and and every rank that i i just felt like you would upset the least amount of people if you could make him more in, entertaining um and and that least amount of people is funny um i looked up uh masters in north america um, and, and with Diamond and Masters in North America, 71% of all the games played by Probius were played by one guy. Like, imagine every game being played in, in two full ranks, and they're all played by one guy. Like, you can't do that with any other hero. Every other hero in the game, you can find, like, several people that are still playing that hero in several different ranks. But like the fact that there's one and, and the, the last like 29% were played by like four people. So like Probius, you'd upset the least amount of people by reworking him. And you would probably encourage the most to try a new hero mm. um, by giving him a rework. I think Nova, you'd probably upset a few people for sure. I think Abathur, you'd upset quite a few people. I mean, that's again, I'm I Abathur's one of my favorite heroes in the game. I just feel like throughout all the changes, he's he's been made less and less enjoyable for each change sure you can kind of play around each of those changes but like it's it's kind of like i don't know it's like it's like if you're walking to the store and like they you can go straight to the store on a sidewalk the whole time and that's great and then they add like a bush in the way or like a tree starts growing in the way and now you need to kind of step in front into the street sometimes it's like that's really annoying but if it's just one thing it's not a big deal you can kind of play around it um but when it happens multiple times, they basically just leave the street and the, the sidewalks falling apart. And there's the that's how Abather feels right now, where it's basically you're like walking in the road the whole day <laughs> and uh, just trying to get to the store. You know, it just doesn't feel good to play. I and get that. So yeah. Overgrown. Most of the, the reworks the that I'm recommending are either heroes that just like feel awful now or heroes that like um, in order to buff them, you're going to make them awful to play um and uh to play against anyways um so with probius i was like he's just outclassed right like his abilities are slower than every other mage so if you're just following up a taunt 
he could get a kill if you're following up a taunt because his abilities are slow, but they're taunted there for a little bit. But so can Orphea and Jaina and and uh, KT and both KTs and really just about anyone else, any other mage can follow up a taunt and lead to a kill. But they can also do so much more. Probius is more about zone control, which is awesome, except for Gazalo kind of does it better right now. Mm. And so it's like he's in this weird boat where like the only people playing him are people that just really enjoy his play style and not that he outclasses anyone in really any direction. Um, I think he's also his talents feel more like a support, but his abilities feel more like a damage or specialist. And so he just fits really weird, which I think is okay. I, I like weird heroes. I just want to make sure that he has at least a niche that he fits well enough to where we see him being played and we enjoy playing him in at least one area. So all of the reworks that I've recommended have been um, mainly just that. It's either heroes that are really hard to balance, heroes that nobody's playing, or um, heroes that just aren't fun to play anymore for a reason. Either not fun to play or just really not fun to play against for whatever reason. I think Nova's interesting. The precision strike farm feels against the fantasy, but in a rework land, it could be kind of fun to feel like you're the ground troop and the space invasion force above mm-hmm. you is backing you up. Like, you're the hero of your story, but all around you, the jets are flying in and you got to get across the ground as the solo stealthy uh, insert into that dramatic situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but almost like at that point, like, make a... Make it like base kit almost like make her nuke do like nothing to heroes and then make it to where it it's you have a global like wave clear and then you you take your ult to buff it. You know, if like if that's what people like about it and that's kind of what they've been doing a little bit is like people people liked Murden's like pierce on Q, so they made it baseline. They liked the longer range of the hook on on stitches so they made it baseline. So if if that's the part that they like about Nova, where she has like, hey, you're you're kind of calling in like like two different you're you're more of a strategist than you are a sniper, then let's let's play on that. Let's make that more of her identity of uh, a hero and uh kind of make it work more. And and so I think that's where um where you can do stuff like that. Um, but at a point, yeah, you're, you're just turning, uh, her into Abathur. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm like, you're just, you're an Abathur with a body, but that's easier to balance because you can kill a body. Right. I mean, like Abathur after like 16 minutes in the game, you're basically just staying in base. So. A fascinating issue. There, there are still like less dramatic things that kind of still get to me, but that's just because I love Thrall. And his bouncing chain lightning being very scary to use around any fort because mm-hmm. it gets mad at me because it always wants to go off and hit a hero. It'd be interested to see that stuff revisited and maybe cemented into the future where these buildings now have that aggro system. And you mentioned the summons yeah. there that that would be interesting too. There's there's heroes that don't suffer though, like Lunara, like like Splinter Spear. Like you have the range. It's not as scary as monfro- a monstrosity, so you. Let loose some poison. Whoops. Hit a hero. Do a little jump back. Jump back in. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. No, I, I think I think some of them, it's it's not a big deal. And it is something that you just play around. Um, there have been some that are that are kind of annoying. I don't remember what hero I was playing, but it was it was something kind of like the Haka where I was trying to speed up my my clear on the 
the fort and I, I did my W and then I had someone just walk up. And the same thing happens like any of the fire. You're playing a new Barak, right? You summon a bunch of beetles that are tanking for you. And all they have to do is stand next to a beetle and the fire will hit them for literally like six oh, damage. And that's your fire? And, so it goes- and that's, yeah. And, uh. and so there's a lot that like, it, it's kind of counterintuitive because it's like, I, I don't know what they could do to, to kind of make that easier. I mean, with monstrosity, they could count it as a hero. Um, and, uh, and if they count it as a hero, then it at least would be moved down in priority. I think the rest of the problems aren't too big of a deal. If you're tanking as a new Barak, like you're already a tank. So your beetles just last a little bit longer. Um, you can always step back. Your beetles will just start tanking again. But yeah, there's a lot of like little things that um, when they made that change, I think for the most part, it was a good change, kind of prevented people from diving so early. Um, especially like people that could just summon a bunch of beetles, dive in and kill someone and have the beetles still tanking everything. Like Nubarak, sure, he got hit the hardest from that, but he, that was kind of the reason why is because he was the the biggest abuser of being able to dive under tower, summon a million beetles around him and just kill the target and walk away. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't like recommending reworks too much only because, um, I, I've been in the boat where they've reworked heroes that I've enjoyed playing and I no longer enjoy playing them. White main and Tassadar are good examples of that. Um, I, I think new Tastar is fun. Don't get me wrong. I think the new Tastar is definitely more fun. Um, but I did like the old play style of being able to like focus on shields and walls and not do very much damage. Um, and white main on the other hand was the one that I, that's a topic, right? Like that's, that's a topic for me. But, um, <laughs> so I understand like when I recommend reworks, I know there's going to be people out there that are like, don't change this hero. I love its current play style. But I'm like, yeah, but you and like three other people of their play style. And then otherwise it's like, we don't even have that hero in the game. And so it's hard because it's like, it, I don't know. I, I feel like it's easier for them to rework a hero because all the assets already exist than it is for them to make a new hero. And so if we're going to get any new content in like, like if we're going to get faster content, that's new content. I think rework is going to be the easiest for them to do. Definitely. And that's why I think Probius is such a example of Mm -hmm. getting some art assets out of the closet, which isn't true because he's playable today, but he he doesn't match the fantasy for a lot of people. But you know, my cautionary tale is always murky. The number of murky original players that completely left this game entirely. Like that was their purpose to playing. Uh, Also, Zul Rework did that for quite a few people, which is a little different. I feel like it it gave him a lot of life, but I understand there was this sort of relaxing skeletal push that you would just do forever Mm -hmm. and and didn't really worry about team fights or how you interacted with the rest of the map. And uh, a lot of AI players, perhaps, lost their interest in the game on that one. There was one, I mean, like Sylvanas. uh, I had a play style of Sylvanas that I really liked. and it was, uh, I would always play with a, an Ariel um, and I would just go W build and old Sylvanas used to have like three W talents that all were really funny. One was like um, your W, every time that it spreads to another person, it lowers its cooldown. It's doubled if it's a hero. Um, and it, if there were five people standing around, you'd have no cooldown on W. And so I'd play with a um, an Ariel and she would always have her energy bar no matter what. Because I'd throw my W, it'd spread to everyone, and I'm just doing a ton of like nothing damage. But Ariel's energy bar would literally just be like, Whoop. and then uh, so we would play together, and it, it was always just a fun combo. And then like you had the point and click 
mind control where you both stood still, which was like considered awful. But like it did give you the ability to like, hey, they're all together. Like just we're just gonna we're just gonna keep Ariel keeping everyone alive. They start spreading out. I'm just gonna grab one and we're gonna get a kill. And it was kind of a fun play style and it's gone now. But I think New Sylve did bring a lot more to what you can do with Sylve and she's a lot scarier. So I don't know. I think for the most part, the reworks that they've done have made the heroes more popular with the exception of two. Um, which was, and I could be wrong on this, but I think Joanna and White Mane. White Mane, you can see literally the patch that she had before the rework. She's being played in like 49% of games. And then two patches, or sorry, two, two weeks later, um, so after people got some time to play it, the patch that was like two weeks later, she was being played in like 6% of games. And then after that, she was being played in like 2% of games. And it was like, White Mane had like the largest drop on hers. And the same thing happened with Joanna, her latest rework. She was, a, she was being played in like 50 to 60% of games and it dropped down to like 20%. I don't, after playing it more, I don't actually mind her current iteration, honestly. Um, I kind of like that. I mean, her, her talents are a little like, they need a little bit of like, uh, what's the word? Like, I think, I think her underutilized talents need a hand. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of a, a, a bump uh, in the numbers. But otherwise, I think that there's a lot of potential with uh, her current iteration. So I don't, I don't dislike it anymore. I actually kind of like it. But yeah, I think everyone's kind of warmed up to, to Joanna currently. I'm definitely looking from the outside when it comes to White Mane. But of all the... That was our most World of Warcraft moment this game has ever had where the community is saying, don't do it. We, we, yeah. we know what you're trying to do and it's not going to work. Please don't go through with this. And they did anyway. And I don't think that was villainous as it's often portrayed for the world of Warcraft team. Mm -hmm. I think it was done with the best intentions to make white main more interesting to more people, but instead yeah. the hardcores didn't like it. And we lacked any sort of example for why you should work that hard to get good at her. And I think the same thing <laughs> happened with Sylvanas in, in a sense too. Like it's taken two years for me to be like, oh, mind control's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. But if we were if maybe if we were in HTC days, we would have communicated that thing. I speaking on that very briefly, I love the the John Wickian endings we are having to CCL right now. Like oh yeah, both yeah, player, yeah. Both teams are exhausted. They're not. They're they're professionals. They're tournament players, but they're not marathon runners. They're not used to playing this game for eight hours straight like our old HTC pros. So they get to yeah. game five and they're just trading exhausted punches back and forth, and the seams are showing. But I love it. It's so human. And fascinating. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, what was so interesting, I think it was it was last weekend or the weekend before, both, uh, almost all the series of games ended in 3-0s, but it didn't feel that way. It felt every single game went to like level 24. Like every single game went to like level 24. They were all 3-0s. But like, so if you're looking back, you'd be like, oh, like the, all 3-0s like must have been a fast week. It wasn't. Every game was like 20 to 30 minutes long. And it was crazy to see. I mean, every game was so close. You you would look at the standings of these teams and you'd be like, oh, this is going to be so easy. 
but only a couple changes, a little bit more practice. And these teams are actually pretty close to each other, at least from what I was watching. They, the games were, um, they were surprisingly close. And they, and like you said, there's so many of these ends where they were so close. I mean, level 20 to level 20 or, or higher anyways. And, and I mean, I, I was watching, um, there was one all track game and there was one keep up for both teams and that was it. And it's just like, this is like, this is interesting. Like I get some people are saying, Oh, like it's because of the changes and stuff. It's harder to end earlier. Um, but you'd be surprised. There are still teams that are, that are closing out games like in, in you. Um, and, and when we were seeing the Chili mountain Korean events, um, they were still closing out games really early on, on teams that were better that they're, uh, against teams that were a little bit worse than them or that they were a little bit better. Um, but yeah, CCL it's, these games are going long and they are close. They come down to just like, a it's like a pick that happens slightly before a fight it's, and that's it. I'm really excited <laughs> in particular this weekend, it'll be November 13th. So the Saturday games are going to have Granite Gaming versus Chili Mountain. Both teams are 0-6 right now, mm-hmm. and not because they just got rolled. That's just the way the end of the game went. And I'm really fascinated to see, because I know both these teams are working so hard right now to fix that and to solve the issues with their communication and work with their new rosters. It's going to be a really cool throwdown there. Uh, but but we, we were talking about you know White Mane and the like, and chat's been talking about Johanna here. What an interesting yeah. scenario that was. It was almost it was a relief for so many tank players. Like and I'm going to be extreme here, which is you ruined here. You ruined her. Thank goodness. Now I don't have to play it every game. Yeah, I think but it's it's not true. it's kind of a weird thing cuz it's like they could have just nerfed her, but she didn't need it. Like she had like a she had a baseline win rate yeah. in Every single mode in every single level of play, she had a baseline win rate. Um, but like, she had a couple different build variations, but they were so old that like people have just been playing them for so long. Yeah, she was like ETC for a while. It was like ETC and Joanna, and like they kind of nerfed ETC's health a little too much, and then it was Joanna and Blank, and whoever, whatever else, other tank filled in. It was just Joanna and Blank. And it's just tricky because, like, yeah, there's a lot of talents in there that are just kind of dead. Divine Fortress is just like they could. It, it, no one really wants to take it because the the loan part is so bad, or the gamble gambit part is so bad um, that it's such a risky thing. And they made it worse compared to what the older version of it was to compensate for the extra stats that you'd get. Um, it's just it's it's tricky to to know where to put Joanna right now. Um, yeah, so Laws of Hope is generally what's picked. Salas Glare is... Uh, I like it if you know you're going to get to 16 or if you're going against someone who's going to be standing still. Like, in the competitive scene, people have been picking it against um, uh, Tychus and Zul'jin um, because you know they're basically going to be standing still and attacking. And so when they're standing still, you blind them and you know you're you're kind of turning off Tychus for a little bit. Um, it's long enough range you can hit Zul'jin or even Odin. Um so yeah, I mean, it, but her builds are are kind of straightforward. Like uh, eternal retaliations, not picked very much. It's not not too good. Subdues being picked in most games. Hold your ground only really against uh, garages or people that you're worried you have to kind of eat a CC for your team. And then convictions picked in almost every game. Uh, level seven. Sins exposed is only really being picked by uh, I think Bad Benny. 
Um, and uh, Falling Sword. I mean, That's I think both ults are still one. really good. Yeah, I think I think both ults are really good. But man, if you could get to Heaven's Fury, that game is over. Yeah, and Falling Sword, much like our Lunara talk, has opened up more cleanseless supports, which yeah. has been really exciting. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because in itself, it's actually pretty bad. Um, you can see of the games that uh, that get to Heaven's Fury, um, it's an eighty percent win rate. But in the games that in in every game of Falling Sword, it's only fifty percent win rate. Meaning, if you don't get to twenty, it's like a thirty percent win rate old, and uh, that's what's pretty bad about it. Is it's not that great of an ult by itself. It's cleanse is good, but if you're using it for a cleanse. You're kind of failing what a tank should be doing, which is like engaging or punishing mistakes the enemies are making. And so you're picking a bad ult hoping for level 20, um, which, as we saw in CCL, a lot of games were hitting 20. And so it is it can be a really powerful ult. But if you think that the game is going to close out earlier, you just need that CC faster. Blessed Shield still just sitting there casually with 100% win rate in CCL. Interesting. Uh, almost too, there's like a Muradin eating the lunch of Johanna thing going on right now where he's become the premier anchor tank with the stuns available without having to farm, able to sit in bushes for longer now and mm -hmm. keep an eye out. And his block talent and build being one of his more focused builds. Yeah. Means yeah, that I Johanna, mean... the, the blinds, you got a Muradin, he does the blind thing, but instead he absorbs it. And mm -hmm. it, it's kind of working out for everybody. Yeah, I think I think Job's blind is it's nice because like with the bruisers that we have right now, it's uh, you you can blind the carry no matter who they're attacking. Where like uh, Murden's block is more just like, hey, his other talents aren't doing so hot right now. Um, Murden's so weird because when he got his mini rework, he just lost so much damage. And so now it's you're risking a lot to throw any talent points in damage. And it's easier to just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to play a tank that um, I can be one of the best anchors in the game. Um, and that's about it. You're, you're a tanky tank. You're probably the tankiest of the tanks with Murden and his current iteration. Um, your engage allows you to engage over walls, which is pretty nice. And it allows you to anchor in really rough areas and then just jump over a wall and you're safe. Um, but yeah, Murden in his current spot is, is interesting. You don't get the reliable engage. Um, but it's gotten a little bit more reliable now that people are taking the level seven instead of, uh, the, the level seven, 80% slow jump instead of taking the damage talents again now these murdens are basically taking no damage talents because once they change his like level one he just you just don't do as much as you used to so you're seeing a lot more heavy impact these days you're seeing um skull cracker just for the cc and you're barely seeing give him the axe anymore which used to be the meta um we'll go skull cracker to kind of interrupt like it's really good against like chen just getting those extra interrupts off it's really good against like sonia spinning um just any any free interrupts. It's also not too bad for damage. And it's just also kind of annoying. If you're trying to get away from a Muradin and you just kind of getting those stuns off here and there, it's just annoying to get away from. But yeah, Muradin, he's he's kind of just turned into a okay, we need a tank that's really tanky so that uh we can kind of do whatever else we want with our comp. Um, but he is still struggling quite a bit in CCL right now.
Well, as we start to reach the end of the show, let's go ahead and take an email. We'll take one from De La Soak here, who asks, you mentioned you've climbed to GM in every role and tank was the fastest climb. How? Did it require pings, chat, or both? Or did you just play well and vary up your tank picks depending on the league? Uh, yeah, so um, what I'll say is when I have gone to Masters on, on different roles, um, I initially did it on support on my main account um, and it was uh, it took a long time. I did it again on a different account and it, it wasn't the slowest. I, I was playing Rhaegar and mainly just doing macro in the early like low levels. And then when I got up to the higher levels, um, at the time, I want to say I was playing Stukov most games and just doing roots, leading to kills, looking for mistakes, right? Um, and it, it didn't take too long. Tanks has been the fastest every time. And I think the reason why is because in low ranks, all you really have to do is macro you just have to be better at macro than everyone else and wave clear is generally the easiest thing to do in low ranks um as a tank anyways because you if you're trying to wave clear is like jaina in low ranks um and there's someone sitting in every lane which there should be but generally isn't um there you're going to take damage in every lane you try to double soak where if i'm playing joanna and i'm double soaking or i'm playing blaze and i'm double soaking in the low ranks i could do it pretty safely without needing to worry too much about what's going on. Um, then when I get to high ranks, you control the flow of battle. And I always say, like, in, in Masters, everyone th everyone throws at least three times, right? Um, and so if you control the flow of battle, and, and for the most part, in low ranks, people don't really understand flow of battle. If you move back as a tank, uh, your team's still going on, and they're just going to die. Um, but in high ranks, if you move back as a tank, generally, people will move back with you. Um, and then you kind of go in and like, I just felt like I controlled the flow of battle a little bit better. I knew what fights to take and I would win about 70% of my games all the way through like diamond and masters playing tank. Um, where if I'm playing like assassin, I could probably win like 60%. Um, and, and it could be that I'm held back by my mechanics, uh, in, in with assassins, it's a lot harder to play assassin heroes to the highest level because you need to be like actively stutter stepping and, and landing all your abilities. I'm a, I'm not the greatest with my mechanics. So I think it was a lot easier for me to carry with tanks. Cause it was more of just like macro in the lower ranks and flow of the battle in the higher ranks. Um, Bruiser was okay, but I think it also came down to uh, I'm not a Bruiser player primarily. I, the low ranks, I moved up very quickly, but the high ranks, I didn't know all the matchups. Um, and so when we got to the maps that were pretty like specific to knowing the matchups, I, I also didn't own a lot of heroes on the Smurf account. So what would happen is I would get to the high ranks and someone would play something that I just didn't have the roster pool to deal with. Like they'd pick Chen and I had nothing in my roster pool that could answer Chen. And so sometimes it was easy for me to play a bruiser or sorry, play something other than a bruiser in the solo lane. And then just to like go, go roam and, and kill the bot lane or something, you know, um, because I could never deal with like a Chen that was on the point. So I would just play something else. So I think that as far as um, uh, bruisers, that's where I hit my limitation right about plat diamond where people kind of knew the matchups. I just didn't have the roster pool to answer it where the tanks that are the best at, controlling the flow of the fight are cheap right joanna mm. etc diablo they're all so cheap they're all like two thousand gold four thousand gold so you'd have whatever your free week tanks are and then you'd spend like 
the just the gold it takes to get an account to 50 you have all the best tanks um and and healers are a little different you end up with like lili and malfurion um stukov's a little expensive lucio's expensive um you could get rhaegar so it's like you could kind of make it work um but yeah bruisers is probably the slowest i had i it was the fastest to about diamond and then it was the slowest to masters where tanks was it was fast the whole way through i i did my my tank bronze to masters in a weekend um and yeah it was it was a pretty fast one wow. and my healer one my my actual healer one not my just main account my main account took me like two seasons um but my my healer one when I, that was my actual intention i knew i could already get grandmasters um my healer one i think it took two weeks um and then the the solo lane one took me a month a uh, month or two uh it, it definitely the different roles makes a difference but if you already own the heroes um it's more of a mindset it's more of like learning what you're doing wrong and having the mindset that you can get there. Because I find that like a big problem is that my first time going to, to Masters, I really threw myself off every time. Um, I would lose a game. I, I would feel like, oh, I'm like, I'm done. I need to change something. Where if you've already hit Masters, you know what you're doing will get you to Masters again. So if you lose a game, you don't throw off your strategies, right? You do what you know will always win. And that's why these Smurfs can not care if they lose a game. They go 70% win rate all the way up. It's the mindset to know that you can get there. And so once you get there the first time, it's actually really easy to keep doing it because you don't second guess what you're doing. You know what you're doing will get you to Masters in a matter of time. And a couple losses here and there don't throw you off. And so I would say that's probably the biggest issue with tanks is like, um, it's the mindset. It, it, it really is. Like, uh, it's, it's just that mindset. Well said. And that'll bring us to the end of this episode. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us for it. And thank you for joining us, Not Paradox. It was fun having you again. Yeah, thanks for bringing me back. No, I, I appreciate it. It's been, it's been a little bit, and I'm excited to be back. And uh, I'm excited to watch you guys' 400th next week. And uh, yeah, no, thank, thanks so much for, uh, for bringing me back. Absolutely. Well, thank you for those 400 episodes to the patrons over at patreon.com slash ITN. We want to thank our producers, Declan H, Sean B, Mike R, and J.M. Tibbles. Oh my goodness, 400 episodes. Thank you all for your endless support of the show and everyone who has subscribed over at patreon.com slash ITN. You can catch the show live Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. Today we're over on my channel at twitch.tv slash Kyle Ferguson, but normally over at twitch.tv slash TV. Before I outro a bit more, let's have our guests tell everyone where they can be found. Sure. So uh, I'm not Paradox, if you didn't already know. And most people know me from my YouTube content. I make uh, Here's a Storm videos ranging from kind of the lowest uh, ranks all the way up to the highest. I make videos talking about like the four mistakes you might be making if you're playing in like lower ranks or just picking up a hero for the first time. And I also have games where I break down the highest levels of professional play, where I explain how they're playing this hero, why they're playing this hero, and how you can take this hero into your own games and play it to your best. So you can check out my YouTube at youtube.com forward slash not paradox. Um, I also do a bunch of other stuff, but I, I, uh, kind of all over the place. So you can find all the rest of my stuff on my website, notparadox.com. Um, it's not that up to date, but at least you can find like my, my Facebook and everything there. 
Um, but yeah, no, that's that's kind of the the best place to find me. Uh, other than that, if you guys have any questions, you can always tag me in the uh, into the Nexus Discord, and I generally will stay around there and answer any questions you might have. Excellent. You can find everything about this show over at amove.tv. When Garrett is here, you can find him at Garrett Art. He'll be back next week. This week, I want to point everyone towards our YouTube, Nexus Gaming News. You can find it at youtube.com slash TV. So the old channel resurrected for general gaming news. And this past week, we hit a little milestone for ourselves as we invade YouTube with our content. We have a 11,000 viewed video on Final Fantasy fourteen. And yeah, both Garrett and I have been playing through that and uh, kind of getting into it a bit. So expect more Final Fantasy 14 content over on that YouTube. You can find everything I do over at kyleferguson.com and you can find me playing heroes over at twitch.tv slash kyleferguson, which until that patch hits will continue to be whimsical, full of Mephistos and Stukovs and Sylvanases with little rhyme or reason as to why they're picked. But I'm certainly enjoying myself. Thank you all for joining today. We'll see you next time. Good luck. Have fun. All right. Thank you, guys.